This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then Jesus sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. The gospel of the Lord. So Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we pray that we would hear not just the words of men, but the words of God. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I want to take two verses this morning from that second reading from Paul's letter to the Romans, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. If you're making use of the Pew Bible, you can find that text on page 1126, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, which I'd like us to read again. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, as found on the Pew Bible in the Pew Bible, Bible, page 1126. This is a major shift uh, in, in the letter, moving from the theological to the practical. And so he says, beginning at verse 1, And I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, as the case may be, by the mercies of God, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of the Lord is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This morning I want to talk about a life dedicated to God. A life dedicated to God. And, and you'll note perhaps that we're not talking about a life totally dedicated to God, which would perhaps imply that there's such a thing as a life that's partially dedicated to God. Indeed, with God there is no such thing. With God either you're dedicated or you're not. As David Paul Tripp wrote in his book, entitled Dangerous Calling, he said, if you're not living for God, there's only one alternative, and it is that you're living for yourself. And so our subject this morning is simply put, a life dedicated to God. And while we're thinking about this and looking at what Paul has written in our text, I'd like us to consider two things. Firstly, why the dedicated live lives dedicated to God and then secondly, what a life dedicated to God looks like. 
why the dedicated live lives dedicated to God and what a dedicated life looks like. And so firstly then, why the dedicated live lives dedicated to God? Notice again verse 1. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. But he says, I appeal to you by the mercies of God. And so Paul appeals to the believers to live a life dedicated to God. Uh, it's an appeal. It's an exhortation. If you like, an official charge. In fact, the Greek term that's used here, parakaleo, is used in the classical Greek to describe when a general or some other military commander gathers the troops to give them a speech before they go into battle. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a, a serious circumstance, and it's as serious for Paul as it might be for a general. And the basis of his appeal, he describes as the mercies of God. I appeal to you by the mercies of God. That is to say, the good things that God has done for us in Christ, which things Paul has been talking about for 11 chapters. And God has done this, and God has done that, and God has done this, and he gives it to you freely. And then he comes to this uh, 12th chapter as we have it, and he says, I appeal to you now based upon those things to do this. In other words, Paul is saying because of all the good things that God has done for you in Christ, I want to encourage you to live a life that's dedicated to that merciful God. George Herbert, the great English poet and priest in the Church of England once wrote, I can never do too much for him who hath done so much for me. In fact, that's the proper motivation for the Christian life. We don't live the Christian life in order to gain God's approval. We live the Christian life because we have his approval. Because he has been gracious and merciful to us in Christ. And so that's why the dedicated live lives dedicated to God because God is good and all the things he's done for us in Christ. Secondly, and so what does a dedicated life look like? Well, let's notice again those verses, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice which in God's eyes is holy and acceptable or well-pleasing to him which is your spiritual worship and do not be conformed to this world but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern or by the way that you live a life that flows out of such a mindset that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is his good and acceptable and perfect will. And so Paul says that a life dedicated to God is a life of sacrifice. 
Indeed, Paul says, I appeal to you to present your bodies. Present yourselves. In the New Living Translation, give your bodies to God, he says, because of what he's done for you. And then Paul continues, and, and present your body, what? As a living sacrifice. And that's an ex extraordinary expression, coming, especially coming from Paul, who's a Jew. There was no such thing as a living sacrifice. All the sacrifices that the Jews offered to God were all killed. They were all slaughtered, including the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, that's what, what John said to some of his disciples, John the Baptist, and Jesus is walking by, John chapter 1, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And how did he do that? Well, he died for us. All sacrifices die, are killed and given. But Paul says, give yourself to God, your bodies, as a living sacrifice. This is a sacrifice that continues on as long as you live. Your life is a sacrifice. Or I love the way Peterson put it in the message, and it's quite a paraphrase, but the point is well taken, and he's captured it. And the message, Romans 12 and verse 1 reads, Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work, your walking around life, and place it before God as an offering, <laughs> as an act of worship. Indeed, not as a sacrifice for sin, because Jesus has already covered that base. It has nothing to do with that. It has, like I say, it has nothing to do. You don't dedicate your life to God to earn God's acceptance. We live for God because we have been accepted. And if we understand the, 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 the value of His mercy on our behalf and, and, the, and the grace that He gives, free of charge, things that we could never earn for ourselves, if we really understand it, we want <laughs> to live for Him. Because we're grateful. And so we get to worship Him every day, not just at church, but every day, every moment of the day, living out His will in our own lives. But it's not a sacrifice for sin. Jesus covered that. In fact, in this very letter to the Romans, we read in chapter 3, beginning at verse 23, probably verse 23, one of the more famous uh, scriptures and one that you will know in addition to John 3.16. Romans 3 beginning at verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we are justified or given a right standing before God by grace as a gift. Through the redemption or the purchasing of us that is had in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation, which means a satisfactory payment. He says, by his blood, what the shedding of his blood, which is, signifies his death, to be received, this redemption, by faith. Or even more straight and to the point when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 3, for I deliver to you, first of all, of first importance, what also I receive, that Christ Jesus died for our sins, according to the scriptures. And so we present our bodies, our lives to God as a living sacrifice, not as a sacrifice for sin, because that's what Christ did on our behalf. But rather, as Paul says in our text, as an act of spiritual worship. 
if you like, as a, as a, as a sacrifice of thanksgiving. <laughs> I serve you, Lord, because I'm so grateful. <laughs> as a sacrifice of praise, I live for you, Lord, because I'm taken up with you. As a, a, here, as it's described, as a conscious, rational act of devotion. That's what the word, in fact, the word spiritual here in the Greek is logikos, from which we get the word logical. We, we, we do this as a, as a rational decision, a conscious giving of ourselves to God as a devotion, an act of worship to Him. Doing with our bodies what God has called us to do with them. As Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at verse 19, he says, And, and don't you know that your body? It's interesting. You know, we don't maybe think much about the body, especially, especially when we're talking about spiritual things, right? Does it matter what you do with the body? Well, it is. It does matter what you do with the body. God created the body. God created the soul. In fact, without both of you, you aren't really who you were meant to be. In fact, that's why we shall be resurrected when he returns, and we shall experience the kingdom here on a renewed earth that shall last forever, and we won't go to, go to God to stay with God somewhere else. God comes to us. Read it in Revelation 24, or 21. So Paul says, don't you know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own, Paul says, but you were bought with the price. What? The price of Christ's blood. And th therefore, he draws this conclusion. Therefore, glorify God in your body. <laughs> or as the old Danish proverb says, what you are is God's gift to you, and what you do with yourself is your gift to God. <laughs> and so Paul says that and in addition, I should say, he says to live in this way, he describes it as holy, it is set apart, special. Look at that. I mean, you can do something special, set apart, something that God takes pleasure in, which is the next description, any time. We, we were talking with the men just the other day. We said, okay, so now we've studied these things. Now, now, now go from here and go do them. Where? At home, at work, at school. In the church, everywhere you are, you can be acting in a way that is expressive of your thanks to God and, your, and praise to Him. And when you live for Him in this way, it is an act of worship to Him. And so Paul says to live in this way is holy. And he says acceptable, which literally means to be well-pleasing to God. And, and indeed, notice again, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And so a life dedicated to God is a life of self-sacrifice, which sounds like, you know, so negative, you know, like you're losing out, which in some cases is the case. You, you give up things, but as those who give find out th that you're released in the, in the giving, and as Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, if you don't give on that level, um, maybe you don't know that, so I encourage you to do it, and you'll find out 
That is, it is. It is. In fact, why would God keep on doing it? It's a blessing to God as well to give. And Paul says that life, a life dedicated to God is a life of radical transformation. Indeed, uh, notice again verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern or prove what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so Paul says that a life dedicated to God is a life of radical transformation. And interestingly enough, he says that the first step toward being radically transformed is by refusing to be conformed to this world. It's very interesting, you know, it's not, and you know this in your own life, if I'm going to commit to this, I can't be committed to that. Now, in the marriage, right, I guess it just kind of popped into my head, I just, we just married our daughter off. We married her off. We married her in June, right? And forsaking all others, I'm committed to you, right? And if that, doesn't, if that doesn't happen, there's problems, right? So we understand that. J.B. Phillips, his famous translation of this verse, put it this way, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. <laughs> or in the New Living Translation, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Or Peterson in the message, don't be so, this is great, don't be so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Which reminds me of something that Francis Chan wrote in his book, Erasing Hell. He, it's in the form of a prayer. He said, God, I don't want to fit in anymore. Holy Spirit, save me and set me apart. It's a very apostolic sentiment a very biblical one. Or Patrick Morley in his book, The Man in the Mirror, he wrote, for, for, he said, many of us are Christians in our spirit, but, but secular in our practice. We have become a generation of cultural Christians, he said. In fact, that's a good question to ask yourself. How, how is my life and my aspirations, the things that drive me, the things that value me, any different than those around me who make no claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. Is there any difference? <laughs> Indeed, Henry Nouwen wrote famously, he said, to live in the world without belonging to it summarizes the very essence of the spiritual life. In fact, you remember that. Jesus prayed that. Lord, I'm not, pray I'm not praying for the... Jesus prayed, Heavenly Father, I'm not praying for the disciples that you remove them from the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one. <laughs> to live in the world without belonging to it summarizes the very essence of the spiritual life. And as it relates to saying no 
to something in order to say yes more effectively to something else. It was Steve Jobs who said, focus isn't just about saying yes. Focus is also about saying no. And he said, as head of Apple, I am as proud of the things we chose not to do as I am about the things we do do. And so Paul says that the first step toward radical transformation is refusing to be, refusing to be conformed to this world. That is, if you like saying no to the world. Not to the people of the world. God, God loves them. God so loved the world. In fact, when it says God so loved the world, he's talking about the people of the world. Not, not the culture and the system, which, if you read in another writing of John, says it's controlled by the evil one. <laughs> That's hard to believe, isn't it? Don't live by that system. Be light in the darkness, Jesus said. Right? Be salt in the midst of corruption. Don't hate people, but the system that's driven by, by demonic and evil forces that hate God and would destroy all that God has created. Don't be a friend to that. And all of its avarice and its lust and its pride and its abuse of power, etc. In fact, speaking of John, John and his letter his first letter, John chapter 2 and verse 15, speaking to the community of believers to which he was writing, said, do not love the world or the things in the world. And then notice what he says. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You can't have it both ways. You can't say yes to this and yes to that. You have to say no to that and say yes to this. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And so Paul says that the first step toward being radically transformed is refusing to be conformed to this world. But then Paul says very straightforwardly, and, and, and be transformed. It's very interesting. It's an, it's an, it's an uh, imperative. It's a command. But it's passive. It, it, it means surrender yourself so this can happen to you, if you like. Be transformed. In fact, the word for transformation here is, meta, uh, is uh, uh, metamorpheo. That's, that's a mouthful, isn't it? But it's the, it's, it's the Greek word from which we get the English word metamorphosis. And so it's, it's a, it, 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 it references radical change, not just a minor alteration, a complete change like it was a caterpillar, but now it's a butterfly. And so now it's still an animal, it's a creature, but it's, a, it's, it's different in a radical kind of way. That's what he's saying. Be transformed like a caterpillar is transformed into a butterfly. And this kind of language is found all around the New Testament. 
In 2 Corinthians, perhaps as famous as any other passage, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, the Apostle Paul said, And therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. <laughs> the old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. That's radical change. And Paul says more, and be transformed by the, by the renewing of your mind. In fact, this is the place where the transformation begins. Right here, between your ears, mine, between my ears. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Or I like the way that the New Living Translation puts it, and, and, let, and let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. <laughs> How do you think? Do you think like God? Have you had enough exposure to the Word of God that you thought about it in the words of Jesus and you go, yeah, man, I'm, I'm, he says go this way, but I'm heading that and I'm thinking it through and that, that go, leads to destruction. That's the broad way, but this is the narrow way and, and so on. And so you decide in your mind to make a change. It, but it all begins here with the renewing of your mind. In Proverbs, the writer writes, Proverbs 23 and verse 7, as a man or a woman, as the case may be, thinks within himself, so he is. This is so true. As a man thinks within himself, so he is. Or Patrick Morley again in his book, The Man in the Mirror. He says, quote, we are who we are in our minds first. Before we speak and before we act, our speech, he says, indeed, our speech and our actions are a result of our thinking. That's what Jesus said. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Or Emerson, who famously said, and this is an extraordinary, just stop and think about this, this the, 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 the cause and effect, and it all starts in the mind. But Emerson wrote this famously. He said, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. And it all starts in the mind. And so Paul says, and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then Paul says even more, and be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing through living, is what he means, by testing you may discern what the will of the Lord is. That is to say, by knowing and embracing in your mind the truth of God. And knowing and embracing which leads to doing the truth. By doing that, knowing it and embracing it, and because you're embracing it, you do it. You discover and show in your own life what is God's will for you. And also... God's will for others because you're not the only one he's talking to or me. And Paul says that God's will is good. That is it's to say it's beneficial. I say sometimes that you know, my problem is not, is, is not God. My problem is me. What God calls me to do is great. And when I do it, it's a blessing and a benefit. 
the problem lies is when I don't do it, and then, I, and then that results in something quite different. God's will for us is good, and Paul describes it as well-pleasing. <laughs> Please, certainly pleasing to God and hopefully pleasing to us as well. And he describes it as perfect or complete, if you like. That is to say that God's will for us is, is not a thing that's partly good, but rather God's will for us is a thing that is entirely good. I've always appreciated something that Amy Carmichael said. She said, to will what God wills brings peace. <laughs> to will what God, to want what God wants brings peace. And Arthur Middleton, in his book, Toward a Renewed Priesthood, wrote this. He said, in order to fully comprehend any teaching, any truth, a person must conform his life to it. And what Paul describes in our text in Romans chapter 12, which he wrote, by the way, to ordinary Christian people living in Rome, is not a description of what extraordinary Christians do, but rather is a description of what all of us are called to do who name the name of Christ. And so I wonder, <laughs> will you do it? Will you do it? A life dedicated to God. Let us pray. Give us grace, Lord. I, I don't suppose anybody I don't suppose anybody ever sits down to eat who doesn't have an appetite for it. And so perhaps if we're not eating, if we're not doing what you say, then what we need, Lord, is is an appetite for it. Lord, in your grace, touch our minds and our hearts, and may these things be beautiful to us. May we hear your voice speaking and may we answer the call because you're not calling us to something that we can take or leave. You're calling us to something that's so great, so life-changing that we can hardly imagine the results if we would just take you at your word. Lord, I pray that each one of us would say, Lord, here I am, even as Isaiah said, here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, Lord, doing me what you want to do. Make me a new creation. Transform my life so that what I am now won't be what I am tomorrow because I'm surrendered to you and the working of the Spirit. Oh, Lord Jesus, have your way in me. Even as the prophet says, like a potter molds the clay into that perfect vessel that he envisions and that comes about when he lays his hands upon the clay. Have your way with us, Lord, we pray, beginning with me. In Jesus' name, amen.